0: AIM. Podcasts. The contents and views expressed by individuals in this podcast are not necessarily those of the companies for which they work.
1: Okay hello everybody sun shining and we're here at Moore Hall again with Ali Lee Boone from Sim and a very special guest today Emily Knox from Tug Agency and Emily is an expert on using influencers and I think Emily the Um, favourite of the Sim podcast series is Fire Festival. Uh, We spoke a little bit about it last week but this was a a disaster of epic proportions for influencers, wasn't it?
2: It certainly was. Well, it was a disaster of epic proportions in every way it possibly could have been. I don't think you can uh, distill it down to just the influencers, although... They were a large part of it. You know, that festival, I believe the tickets were between four and 12 grand, which is crazy for a few days on an island, even if it was once owned by Pablo Escobar. To get people to part with that kind of money, they had one of the Hadids, Bella or Gigi. They had Kendall Jenner. They had Emily Ratajkowski. I hope I'm saying her name right. Um claiming that they were going to be there. So these people were sold this dream of this island full of supermodels. Uh, Kendall Jenner was allegedly paid a quarter of a million dollars American for just one post. Uh, but of course, n- none of those people showed up to the island. It, it, people were sold a lie. Like any marketing, in influencer marketing or anything else, you can't lie to the people because it's all going to get uncovered pretty soon.
1: That was a very high-profile cock-up of Influencer done Fire Festival. There are some of lower magnitude than that. This, we've had this problem recently with the Listerine.
2: Yes. Investment. So um, fairly recently, in the last year or so, Listerine approached an uh, influencer on Instagram called Scarlet London to... I think she was just one part of a, of a campaign to talk about how the their mouthwash um, features in people's mornings, and it was a a wider piece about what people's morning routines are. So they chose this woman who, if you look at her Instagram feed, it's beautiful, and I don't think she did anything wrong in this instance. Her feed is very pink. It's very aspirational. There's a lot of uh, bows and beautiful dresses and uh, lush uh, venues around London. And so her morning uh, was her sat on a... uh, beautifully made bed. She had a light box next to it that said, good morning, I believe. Her duvet cover was, she has herself printed on her duvet cover, which I find fabulous. (laughs) And I think everyone should follow that example. She had huge uh, metallic um, bunches of balloons in, I think, copper and pink, just Floating full of helium next to her bed. I mean, it was anyone's typical morning. Uh, it's how I generally wake up. Um, so they... And there was a very small bottle of Listerine quite in the background on the on her back <laughs> bedside table. Um, and she had pancakes on the bed and with, you know... Whipped cream and strawberries and the rest of it. So it was a little bit, if taken out of context of her feed, a little bit ridiculous that no, no one just wakes up like that. Do you wake up like that, Ali? Is that normal for you?
0: Unfortunately, not. I'm (laughs) going to start immediately. It sounds fantastic.
2: That is the dream. So, but but
1: can you suspend your disbelief to such an extent that that sort of influencer post will actually work on a consumer? Do you think?
0: Well, I think that's a really interesting example of content collaboration between a brand and an influencer. Like you've said, that was part of her feed, that was part of her aesthetic, which is something that influencers really have to work to build up, to build that recognition for how their content will be presented. And presumably she knows that that is how her audience like to consume their content. So actually it's uh, probably, well, depending on how much research Listerine did into her audience and why she was chosen actually it might have been a really interesting time for them to take some learnings from that and maybe think about the way that they were presenting their content but I think it's a um, you know it there is always going to be a bit of differentiation between a way that a brand wants to be presented and a way that an influencer wants to present them. And I think the times when influencer marketing is at its best is when you find that perfect balance between the two, but it's not always easy to do.
2: Do you know what? I totally agree because her audience, as I say, they're used to that kind of content. That's why they signed up to it. They want to see Scarlett looking beautiful in a lovely dress and having a perfect morning. It's when it went a little bit viral and it went outside Uh, And you know, it's part of a wider creative campaign. It went outside her fans and followers. It went to cynical people on Twitter, and they can be very mean. Uh, And the backlash was, who are these fake influencer people making their lives, their fake lives, look so good just to make me feel terrible about mine? And that was about. And she got some really horrible backlash actually, and Mm. it really wasn't very nice. It was quite nasty. But yeah, absolutely. I think it's part of a shift towards. People are demanding a bit more authenticity. People are sick of the pressure of perfection in in the media and on Instagram and everywhere else.
1: Well, but the the thing about perfection, just very briefly, is it it is nothing new about it. There's no difference to an influencer portraying an image of perfection Mm -hmm. to a fashion model portraying an image of perfection. And the, the latter has been doing that for Decades. So why the backlash now?
2: I think the difference is that millennials, and I am a very old millennial, but still technically a millennial. I've grown up, and people younger than me more so, have grown up with this absolute immersion in this culture of seeking approval seeking likes you know people at school you know making sure that all their friends have liked their post comparing likes with other people you've got not just celebrities but uh, influencers and friends putting forward you know their perfect lives it's become a joke isn't it you don't put your worst days on Instagram you only put your best you put your holidays and when your tummy's sucked in and when you've got your makeup on and all the rest of it Uh, and what is different is you're that's all on your phone, and you wake up with your phone, your phone's under your duvet, your phone's with you at night, your phone, if you're very naughty, is uh, even with you in the bathroom, so it's everywhere, it's pervasive, and uh, and I think that in the past we have been able to have a bit more uh, separation from, from that media, but these days, uh, people are getting sick of, uh, it's sort of grinding people down, I think.
1: You've done a good analysis of some big headline influencer nightmares, but... You've had some problems yourself using them, haven't you?
2: Yes, I had. One influencer was... Really talked up by their agent, and they'd done some amazing work. I think with Coca Cola and all kinds of brands in the past, and we got our client really, really excited about him. And then just as he was about to sign the contract, I think he went to the Toronto Film Festival and completely disappeared. I still don't know if he's ever surfaced. So you, that, never, you never found him. I don't know where he is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did stop checking his YouTube after a couple of weeks. I must say, and moved on to the next one. But that was that was a letdown. Um, I've had. Uh, the influencer, who was lovely, uh, but he was flying to a product shoot with our product uh, and it was a six-hour flight and then he realised he'd left the product at home, um, which wasn't very helpful, so we had to uh, courier him a new product. Uh, that's fine, he was he was lovely and it, it, he also was very, very young. Uh, but probably my favourite uh, naughty influencer story was um, we worked with two guys who made some really good content and in fact the content they made for us I think it got one of the pieces got four million views. I mean it absolutely flew. Uh, they did a great job and the fans absolutely loved what they created with us. It was a good collaboration. The naughty bit came when they decided the content was so good that they would sell it to one of our client's competitors. Uh, and who then used it, because you couldn't actually quite see exactly which product it was in some of the videos, so they edited that bit down, passed it off as a competitor, and had that live at the same time our piece was live, uh, which was, yes, less
1: pretty, than Pretty satisfying. awful, but do you... Like the- that is actually more common than one might think, isn't it? That to find people using influencers trying to double up on, on gigs.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But presumably there was kind of a clause in the contract that prohibited that. Presumably you had something in place that wouldn't have allowed that. Or absolutely.
2: There-, uh, there was a huge breach of contract. Um, we just happened to find it uh, online. Um, we uh, alerted them immediately, completely ceased, uh, terminated our contract, and... Um, and obviously payment did not occur in that instance.
0: Maybe we need to start something of a trip advisor for influencers. It seems that they yeah. so, you know, it, it seems such an odd thing to do to engage in bad practice because your name in the industry is everything and yeah. it seems such an odd thing to do when you are your brand to behave in that way and potentially lose a whole lot of business, not just from the one um, project, but from potentially other clients as well because presumably word travels pretty fast about these mishaps, but it seems a very odd practice to engage in, doesn't it? I know,
2: I couldn't believe it. And and I have to say, the vast majority of people I work with, influencers, are lovely, honest, hardworking, and genuinely want to do the best they can. These are three bad apples out of hundreds. Um, but you're right, there is no TripAdvisor, and every marketer doesn't know every other marketer. And these guys are, are quite high profile, and I don't. Th- I think they'll be batting brands away still to this day. Do you think there
1: are more risks involved with influencer marketing than in paid or organic marketing, do you think?
2: Yes. <laughs> yes, I think so. Um, I think, of course, you're you're working with talent um, and, and talent can be fickle and can occasionally be difficult to work with, although I think that influencer marketing really has grown and matured. I mean, I think memory it about doubles every two years it's becoming more and more formalized and standardized and I think the number of cowboys out there is rapidly decreasing and as I say I mean I do influencer marketing um for for my job and I've had huge success with it. Are some of
1: them very good at what they do but actually are also fickle is that part of the issue do you think? Um
2: yes I think there's still a few cowboys out there and yeah uh, Yes, I think there's some people that um, don't really understand the um, commercial sides of what we're doing. They're creative people, maybe not so brushed up on marketing or, you know, where we're coming from as a client, what our brand needs and things like that. But again, I think that's really changing generally now. I work with influencers in the same way I work with most freelance creatives. Right. Um, they understand what's going on. They, they understand their value as well. You know, they come to you with media packs and um, they know their, their worth and their pricing and things like that. So I think it has come a very long way to where it used to be.
0: They essentially are freelance yeah. creatives though, aren't they? Yeah. Well, they, you know, they are their own business. They're, most of them are young entrepreneurs. Yeah. And they know exactly what they're doing. And like you said, the worth, which I think is something that's really changed.
2: Yeah, and they're freelance creatives, but I suppose the difference is they're coming with the audience too. So they're almost a freelance creative plus Absolutely. media buy. Um, but then that 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 combination means that there's so much more than that.
1: So what are the main pitfalls broadly that one should try to avoid?
2: I think one really is trust. I think that um, it was Grey and YouGov, I think, did a study last year which found that only... Four percent of people trust what influencers say. I remember in twenty eighteen there was a bizarre voice um, survey which found that the majority of people think influencers negatively affect impressionable audiences. That they have a false, they give a false impression of life. That they're too materialistic. I think this is something that's coming to the fore again and again and again that people don't always trust what influencers say. Um, and that they understand the commercial realities and I think that is more true as I say of the really macro big you know maybe X towi stars and, and people like that as opposed to the smaller micro influencers. I think the other part of it of trust as well is trust in terms of the platforms. We know that uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter are constantly purging bots. Bots are a big problem. Fake engagements and fake followers are a problem. Um, there's been a- estimated that you know up to 50% of engagements on sponsored content on Instagram is from bots. And that is a huge okay. issue. Uh, so I think trust is a big one. What steps do
1: you have to take as someone in your position to avoid falling into some of these pitfalls?
2: So, again, if uh, I quite like working with micro-influencers for, mo- for most brands. I have worked with really big influencers and had great results, but I think that working with micro-influencers who Actually, want to talk about your brand? Um, uh, I like nothing more than when you approach an influencer and they say, "Do you know what? I wouldn't promote this because I'd never use it myself. It's not my style or whatever." That, that endears you to. Great, great. Yeah. Please don't take my money if you're just gonna, you know, shill for me and then the next day shill for my competitor. I'd much rather um go through a few and then find someone who says, "Actually, I love. I-, I love that. I've been using it for years." But
1: that's interesting. Is that someone says that they don't want to promote it? Presumably, that makes you feel better about using the for something else in absolutely
2: the yeah absolutely um, so I think yeah influencer selection there are tools out there that you can use that can go through people's followers and find out how many bots that you know, follow them and what their genuine followership is like I think it's important to have a look at what what's the quality of comments on their posts um, you can pretty much tell if someone's genuinely engaged with the content or if they're just doing a bot spew of words like you know hi this is great and things like that so um I think it has sort of has to be a multi-pronged approach to to get around the trust issue.
0: That's really interesting though because obviously we're seeing that platforms are removing likes, Mm -hmm. you know, gradually in in certain countries on certain platforms but presumably this is something that's going to become a lot more widespread Mm -hmm. and so I think the point you made is really interesting that actually the quality of the engagement with the post is what's going to be so important. It's not about vanity metrics anymore, it's about real engagement in the discussion in the comments and having that two-way conversation with followers that is going to be the much more valuable metrics for brands Looking to engage with influencers.
2: Exactly, yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. We've seen likes disappear from quite a few territories last year on Instagram. That might get rolled out to everywhere this year. And I think that comes back to that mental health issue around the pressure to be perfect, to compare yourself and chase likes. Uh, And there's some evidence that Facebook's going to hide likes too. They've already started rolling that out. So, yeah, absolutely. It has always been a vanity metric. If you get a million likes on your tweet, but you don't sell any shoes. Well, where has it got you? So yeah, it is about looking towards what are your real business marketing and social media objectives? Um, what's the genuine, go beyond the shallow engagements. What's the genuine communities that are coalescing around these people? What are the real conversations that are being had?
1: The thing that strikes me about this conversation here is that authenticity is out there. It is available, despite the bad reps that influencers generally as a sector in the industry have or have earned in recent times, there are authentic influencers who will do what you want to do, when you want to do it, on products that they actually have a buy-in for. And it's about finding them. So there's got to be lots of big advantages to using influencers, despite some of the horror stories we've heard this afternoon.
2: Really big uh, advantages, yeah. And I think that the key to... um, working with influencers is understanding that they don't just want to do a good job for you because obviously they're, you know, I think a big trend in influencer marketing now and brands, you know, big global brands like Unilever are looking at this. These more long-term partnerships. It's not about a short-term media buy to get your new product out there. It's about working with people long-term. L'Oreal says that they're working with influencers long-term to input into new product development and things like that. So these people want to work with you again and again and again. But I think the main thing is They have followers that follow them because they have a genuine connection. They care about their followers. They're not just their bread and butter, you know, that's their community. And they want to create content that works for them. And I think that's, that's where some real value can come in, is that you're working with someone who understands an audience better than you're ever going to. And I think that's one of the biggest advantages is you can you can talk to these niche audiences. So it might be, we've done campaigns for um, an alcohol brand where we wanted to talk to uh, London foodies. So we approached um, 10 London foodies uh, and invited them to an event. Now, the thing about London foodies is, and I'm, I'm a London foodie, I'm not an influencer, but I followed, you know, between, I think, five and eight of these. And that's a common... Uh, behavior if you follow one you'll follow a few so what we could create through this network of getting all these people to this one event there's only a handful of people there but it starts feeling like whoa everyone is here everyone here is is, is at this beer event mm. I'm missing out this is really trending thing and it can create this sort of hype uh, in a community do you think we're
1: going to get to a point soon where influencer marketing will eclipse paid and organic marketing as a way to market our product products
2: no i don't think so i think that they all um have their place and they can all be really complementary um paid is essential for reach and frequency and mass awareness um certainly uh, and, and various other things as well um And social media is pay to play. We all know this now. Uh, There's no, no, pretty much no brands, I would say, now who are successful in social media who have no paid media budget. Your organic reach is going to be close to zero on pretty much every platform. Um, So paid is is a necessity. Um, Organic content's really important, thinking about your content strategy throughout the year and your monthly calendar and all of that, of course, that's really important to tell the story of your brand. And I think that influencer sits somewhere in between. Um, you are gaining reach, but not to the extent of paid. but you're gaining trust and a sense of authenticity in that recommendation, which is so important when we know that trust in advertising is at an all-time low um and that especially younger people are using ad blockers um, to a huge extent in this country there's banner blindness has been around probably 20 years yeah. now I think yeah. and so um you know those endorsements from people that genuinely hold a place of trust for your uh, target audience of course that's valuable but it goes hand in hand with everything else
1: Banner blindness Ali is there a time where we get influencer invisibility?
0: There might well be. I mean, I think it's a problem we already have. We've seen increased regulation around disclosure and around making it really clear what is and isn't an ad. We've seen Um, kind of refreshed guidance from the ASA just this week, I believe, um, that really aims to educate not only the brands that are trying to engage in influencer relationships, but also the influencers that are putting these out. Um, We've seen a lot of consumer surveys that show that customers actually do know what is an ad and what isn't an ad, but actually that regulatory detail around what is not isn't disclosure is still a really grey area. So I think there is probably going to be a time when people are really unclear what is an ad and isn't because although we're seeing that people claim they do what I feel might be happening is that people think they're seeing a lot more adverts than they actually are I think Mm. actually there's a really blurred line between what is organic content it might be that there is a long-term brand partnership at play that is not being disclosed but actually there's a lot of kind of organic social content that comes out that isn't necessarily an advert but people might think that because it's coming from an influencer it is which I think goes back to this trust issue. It just
1: seems Earned a bad rep because of one or two rotten apples, but actually, it's no different from a sports star being given a cricket bat that he actually uses to win a test match, or a tennis player being in a racket that she uses to win Wimbledon. If an influencer is using the makeup herself that she's being sponsored to use, then it seems to me to be perfectly valid.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And actually, I think a lot of this trust issue comes from a low recognition or understanding of what is and isn't an influencer, particularly from the people that are actually engaging with influencers. I follow probably a a worrying number of them um, across all sorts of social media channels. But I'm actually quite uncomfortable calling them influencers because I don't really feel like that's the role that they serve in my life. They're there maybe to advise me on things. But actually, what I get mostly from them is just enjoyable content that I like to engage with. And actually, I don't see them influencing me. They, they are subconsciously, obviously, it's happening. But actually, I don't even like necessarily acknowledging that that's what they're doing. I remember I was watching a, a video a little while ago where someone said, oh, this product isn't available anymore. So I'm not going to talk about it because I don't want to make people feel bad that they can't buy it. And I thought at the time, oh my gosh, is that the only reason why people are watching this is to you know get product recommendations and to buy them? Because actually, I don't feel like that's the sole purpose of people engaging with them. And actually, if it was, then you know probably many of them wouldn't get the levels of engagement that they do. It's actually because they just put out really enjoyable content yeah. that people like to engage with.
1: You're suggesting there is a point where the boundaries become so blurred that people can't make that distinction anymore.
0: Well, I think it might become so. I think like I said, a lot of people claim that they know what isn't isn't an advert, but I would challenge that because I don't think that people really understand well, I don't think the population in general really understand what isn't isn't influencer marketing. I think as marketers we're in a kind of privileged position to look at our feeds with a certain amount of scepticism but actually I don't know that the general public have that knowledge to particularly identify what isn't isn't an ad and would probably overcompensate in terms of thinking that a lot of the content that they're seeing is paid for when it's actually not but I do think this disclosure issue is really interesting particularly to the point you made about brands collaborating with influencers on products on kind of doing month-long year-long sponsorships what level of disclosure needs to happen there to make that relationship really clear I think it would be interesting to See what more advice comes out about that. Now that we're seeing that relationships between brands and influencers are a lot more insidious than actually we would have thought, maybe five, ten years ago.
1: Emily, final word is still got a bit of potency for now, as long as you pick the right influence.
2: Absolutely, I think I think pick the right influencers. Make sure that they're um, you know they have genuine communities, that they have genuine engagement, and that they genuinely do care about your brand. Think about what your um, objectives are at the outset. You know, As I say, a million likes are probably not gonna do much for you. So think about uh, does this need to generate sales? Is it just about awareness and how am I gonna measure that? And how can I measure that um, when a lot of um, the data will be held by that influencer? So what, what agreement will you have in place? And of course, disclosure. Um, the ASA will slap you down if you don't um, very clearly disclose that this is paid for. Uh, so be very careful about that. Um, and I think most influencers that you work with will hopefully be very aware of that too and will not want to run foul of the ASA either. Great.
1: Emily, Ali, thank you very much indeed.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Join us next time where we debate if the future of marketing is in good hands. CIM